if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock. Apologies for the raspy sound. I'm fighting through. <clears throat> I'm fighting through a cough and a cold uh, that manifested itself pretty much all weekend long, and uh, doing my best to get through it. So thanks for being with us. If you hear me pause, please don't think that the signal has dropped. It just means that I've probably had to turn off my mic and uh, and uh, endure a coughing jag. So that's just the way that it goes. Um, I welcome you to join us this hour. We are guest free until the last segment of the hour at 1050 uh, when Eric Trump, the son of the president of the United States, will be joining us to talk about the president's workload. Yes, you heard it in the news. He's going to take four rallies in four nights starting tonight, the first four days of this week. And in fact, according to some in his uh, administration and in the campaign, he wants to have a rally every single night between now and the election on November 3rd. That would be incredible um i don't even know if it's medically advisable but it would be incredible I, i've said this before about him he's he's kind of terminator-esque he's kind of like a cyborg he really is he has the ability and the stamina uh and the and the will to to uh to push his body through limitations that the rest of us people half his age would not be able to endure and uh that's just the way the president is so uh so he's going to be hitting the road for a series of um uh, rallies in person. He says he is now completely cured or at least now is immune from the coronavirus that he was di- diagnosed with uh, about now, about almost two weeks ago. And so he is ready to go. Uh, and I'm quite frankly very excited about that because he's got a lot of work to do. He's got a lot of ground to make up according to the polls. You may not believe in the polls and maybe you're right to not believe in the polls, but um, to me, I think there is a uh, a reason for alarm, a reason for concern, if not alarm. I think we really do have to be careful uh, as we get closer and closer to November 3rd and the numbers being what they are. So having said that, I also want to talk to you about what's going on right now. Uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett is in the middle, not in the middle of, but in the beginning stages of confirmation hearings to be the next Supreme Court Associate Justice. Amy Coney Barrett, as you know, is one of the most brilliant jurists to be to come down the line as a potential nominee in a very, very long time. Her rating with the Bar Association, her rating as a law professor at Notre Dame University, um, it, it, she's just she's unparalleled. She probably should have been the pick actually before when Brett Kavanaugh got this job. 
President Trump, in fact, said something close to that, that he uh, almost feels like he, he should have chosen her the first time around. Because you never know when an, another opportunity is going to come, come around. Uh, but she is just that good, and yet she is facing a contentious, angry opposition party in terms of the Democrat Party that has no interest whatsoever in the history and the, the tried and true traditions of providing advice and consent on Supreme Court justice nominations. They have no interest in whatsoever in determining whether or not she is qualified and thus casting a vote on that basis, because she is eminently qualified. They are going to judge her on her ideology. They're going to judge her on her faith. They're going to judge her on her political uh, uh, persuasion, if you will, or her, her own partisanship, if they can find Sorry about that. Again, I'm fighting through the cough here. They're going to judge her in a variety of ways. And, of course, her nomination to the court has led to a lot of other uh, ramifications, if you will. And that is the liberal Democrat response, which is we are going to punish the GOP, punish Donald Trump for carrying out his constitutional obligation of filling a vacant seat. We're going to punish him by packing the court if we win the Senate. And the Democrats, the left, has been very clear about this. Well, everybody except for Joe Biden. Joe Biden, the, who, who declared at the debate just a couple of weeks ago that he is, he personally himself is the Democrat Party, refuses to say whether or not he will punish uh, President Trump and the Republican-led Senate by packing the court, by expanding its membership. From 9 to perhaps 11, or perhaps 13, or perhaps 15. He refuses to say it, and moreover, when pressed upon this yet again, he said something really, really astounding. Joe Biden, asked by a reporter whether he would do this again, said, No, the voters don't deserve to know what I would do if I become president, and if we have an opportunity to win the Senate and pack the court. They don't deserve to know what I believe. Sir, I've got to ask you about packing the courts. And I know that you said yesterday you aren't going to answer the question until after the election. But this is the number one thing that I've been asked about from viewers uh, in the past couple of days. Well, you've been asked by the viewers who are probably Republicans who don't want me continuing to talk about what they're doing to the court right now. Well, sir, don't the voters deserve to know? No, they don't. I'm not going to play his game. He'd love me to talk about, and I've, I've already said something on, on Corpa. He'd love that to be the discussion instead of what he's doing now. He's about, to, he's about to make a pick in the middle of an election, first time it's ever been done. First time in history it's ever been done. All right, first of all, Joe Biden is a bald-faced liar. This is not the first time it has ever been done. That is just a flat-out fallacy, number one. And number two, did you hear what he said? When the reporter followed up and said, don't the people deserve to know before the election what you will do if you are the president? No, they don't deserve. From viewers uh, in the past couple of days. Well, you've been asked by the viewers who are probably Republicans who don't want me continuing to talk about what they're doing to the court right now. What does that mean, what they're doing to the court right now? There is a vacancy and it has been filled. And, and now there's advice and consent going on. What, we don't care if you talk about that. Talk about it all you want. What does he mean? What does he mean? They don't want me to talk about what's going on right now. Talk about it. The whole country is talking about it. The question is, is what will you do if you become president of the United States in response to this? Well, sir, don't the voters deserve to know? No, they don't. I'm not going to. No, they don't deserve to know. 
what I would do. This is disqualifying, my friends. No, they do not deserve to know what I would do. They'll have to elect me first. Then I'll tell them what I do. It's just like the Obamacare bill. We have to pass it so we can see what's in it, Nancy Pelosi said. You have to elect me, then you'll see what I would do about this. To know no, they don't. Disagree. I'm not going to play his game. He'd love me to talk about, and I've, I've already said something on, on packing court. And, and I love that part there. I've already said something on packing the court. The only thing you've said on packing the court is you will not tell us whether or not you would agree to pack the court. I mean, let's ponder that for a moment. Ponder the insanity of that statement. I've already said something about it. No, you haven't. The only thing you have said is that you won't say anything about it. He loved that to be the discussion instead of what he's doing now. He's about to he's about to make a pick in the middle of an election, first time it's ever been done. Not true, not true. A thousand times that is not true. Joe Biden just continues to lie again and again about the first time in history a Supreme Court justice has been confirmed during an election year. It has happened 17 other times, for crying out loud. This is not even new. They got to Joe Biden again uh, outside uh, the airport in Wilmington, Delaware, and another reporter asked him about this in his response. The only court packing going on right now is going on with Republicans packing the court now. It's not constitutional what they're doing. I mean, this guy, it is very clear, has never read the Constitution. Joe Biden does not know what's in the Constitution. He just said that what they're doing right now is packing the court. And he said it's unconstitutional. It is not only constitutional, it is obligatory. It is, it is what the president is duty-bound to do. Name somebody to fill the vacancy. It's that simple. We focus on what's happening right now. <laughs> and the fact is that the only packing going on is this court is being packed now by the Republicans after the vote has already begun. I'm going to stay focused on it so we don't take the eyes off the ball here. What does that mean? This guy, honestly, I think it's dumber by the day. The Republicans are packing the court by taking it from its current eight-member status to a nine-member uh, nine court, which is what it's supposed to be. That's packing. That's unconstitutional. And then for him to say, you know, we can't keep talking about that because it takes our eye off the ball about what's going on right now. How in the world is our eye not on the ball? How in the world is our eye not on what's going on right now in the confirmation? Court is being packed now by the Republicans after the vote has already begun. I'm going to stay focused on it so we don't take the eyes off the ball here. I mean, this is really, truly the best that the Democrat Party could come up with. Honestly, let's go back if we can from 2020 to 1983 when senator joe biden was sitting in the senate chamber discussing court packing and fdr's attempt at court packing 
This is what Joe Biden himself said in 1983 about this President Roosevelt movie. clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. It was totally within his right to do that. He violated no law. He was legalistically absolutely correct. But it was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to make. And it put in question for an entire decade the independence of the most significant body, including the Congress in my view, the most significant body in this country, the Supreme Court of the United States of America. The president had the right to do that. He uh, was totally within his power, and his, uh, his objective was seen clearly. Joe Biden, in 1983, made it very clear. Why can't Joe Biden in 2020 say the same thing? No. Why can't he say court packing is a bonehead idea? Why can't he say court packing is a terrible, terrible idea? Because he was right in 1983, and he would be right in 2020. It is a terrible President idea. President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. It was totally within his right to do that. He violated no law. He was legalistically absolutely correct. But it was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to make. And it put in question, for an entire decade, the independence of the most significant body, including the Congress, in my view, the most significant body in this country. It put into question the integrity of the most important body in this government, the Supreme Court. I mean, think about that. Joe Biden in 1983 said it was a terrible idea, but Joe Biden in 2020, if he is elected president in 2021, he will undertake packing of the Supreme Court, if for no other reason than punishment to the Republican Party for daring to fill Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. Your phone call's next on AM 1420, The Answer. Two times Okay, 1026, apologies for any delays that you might hear uh, as I fight through a cough. I don't want to cough into the radio, or into the microphone, rather, uh, and have it come out on your end. Uh, thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Don't forget, Eric Trump is going to be joining us. The son of President uh, Donald J. Trump will be at 1050. Uh, a couple more quickies here from Joe Biden, and then we'll go to your phone calls. Uh, Joe Biden uh, declaring in 1983 that it was a bonehead decision for FDR to consider packing the court, calling into question for a decade uh, the, uh, the, the, the part of, how did he phrase it? Let, let me hear that part again about uh, uh, the most significant body, including the Congress. Absolutely correct, but it was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to make, and it put in question for an entire decade the independence of the most significant body, including the Congress, in my view, the most significant body in this country, the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Okay, so he said uh, it put into question uh, for an entire decade the independence of the most important body, the Supreme Court. By the way, can I just, this is a total aside, um, can anyone really listen to Joe Biden 
1983 style like I'm playing for you and then listen to him today and tell me that he isn't in some sort of cognitive decline. You know, whenever he stumbles and and fumbles and bumbles about, excuse me, whenever he stumbles and fumbles about now, everybody says, well, you know, he has a stutter. He's had a stutter for a lifetime, and it's it's pretty... Uh, insensitive of you to point out his, you know, his uh, trouble getting things out. You know, he's a, his stutter has never, ever, 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 ever been an issue. Listen to him speak clearly, directly, and and you know, appropriately, and and with strength and and conviction, and without any of those kinds of things back in 1983. President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate, and the United States Congress, a proposal to pack the court. It was totally within his right to do that. He violated no law. He was legalistically absolutely correct, but it was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to make, and it put in question for an entire decade the independence of the most significant body, including the Congress in my view, the most significant body in this country, the Supreme Court of the United States of America. I mean, I, I'm just pointing it out. You, when you hear him when he was younger and healthier, his quote-unquote stutter was never an issue. But now he fumbles and, and bumbles uh, about you know where he is, what he's doing, uh, what the issue is, and so forth. And it's, well, you don't understand. He has a stutter. How dare you make fun of somebody with a, you know, with an affliction like that? It has nothing to do with it. The fact of the matter is he has lost his fastball. The guy doesn't know where he is all the time. He doesn't know what issue he's discussing all the time. And it comes out in very embarrassing and painful ways. Joe Biden is simply in a serious state of mental decline that nobody can deny, which is why Nancy Pelosi at the end of last week did what she did. And that is the announcement of her intention to formulate a commission on uh, presidential uh, fitness. In other words, if a president is unfit to serve, the 25th Amendment can be invoked by this commission to perhaps remove him from power and hand the power to the vice president. A lot of people think this is her intent to try to stop Donald Trump from continuing as president and handing the reins to Mike Pence, but it has nothing to do with that. It is because Donald, or, uh, Joe Biden is in a state of serious mental decline, and Nancy Pelosi is simply trying to grease the skids, if you will, uh, and to try to move very quickly toward Kamala Harris being the far-left president of the United States. All right, I've got more on that, but I do want to hear your phone calls, and they're coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. The Answer, now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland, on 102.5 FM. Okay, let's go to some phone calls on AM 1420, The Answer. Good Monday to you. Let's uh, talk to Jeff, who is in Elyria. Jeff, thanks for joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. Is the governor aware of this uh, school uh, sex program they're trying to implement? That's a great question. That's a great question. I do not know. I have not seen or heard any comments from the governor or from the governor's offices uh, with respect to this. Um, this is something that was dug up by yeah. This was this was something that was dug up by private organizations like Ohio Value Voters. Okay. Is it is it implemented in other states? Also unknown. In fact, the only part of our state that we know about that it's being implemented is in Franklin County. 
Um, the several school districts that John Stover listed for us there, I, you know, I can't remember them all, but Olentangy, Upper Arlington, uh, Dublin schools, uh, they're all down there in central Ohio that this curriculum has been adopted by. Uh, so I don't know how or why they got it or what the spread of it will be, but obviously it's extraordinarily important, extraordinarily important for us to do exactly what John said, and that is contact the Ohio Secretary of State. We have got to... Uh, excuse me, not Secretary of State, beg your pardon, the Ohio Attorney General. We have got to get Dave Yost on this because this is dissemination of profane material to minors, which is an absolute crime. It would not be allowed on the street corner. It would not be allowed in some parent's house to show pornographic videos to 13-year-olds. Uh, yeah. So why should it be allowed in, in, in you know Ohio public school classrooms? This has to be something that the Attorney General gets involved with. Definitely. I'm glad you uh, brought my attention to it because I had no clue of this. And uh, uh, all the other people listening should definitely call the Attorney General. And uh, I don't even see how they would implement it without the governor knowing. doesn't even make any sense. Well... You know the well the, the governor does you know it's I, I, I don't know I don't want to proclaim to know all of the inner workings oh, of no. a state government right. yeah. but but I will say that not every not every you know decision that is made by a school board or a school administration is even yeah. known by the Ohio school board much less to the executive offices of the governor um, you know, the only way this would be brought to his attention is if an organization, a grassroots organization like Ohio Value Voters, is successful in, you know, petitioning the, the attorney general, et cetera, to do something about it. Then it'll probably get into the ear of the governor. But I doubt very seriously he's aware of it unless some group makes him aware. Certainly the schools don't have to get his sign off on what they teach. Yeah, okay. I, I'm just glad you brought it to my attention. I'll be calling the Dale Yost, you said, right? Uh, Dave Yost, yes. Dave Yost, okay. Yes, yeah, yes, sir. A lot, Bob. Thank thanks you, Jeff. A lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, and and by the way, I, I'll say to to Jeff the same thing I said to everybody earlier. Watch the video. You really need to watch the video. It's about twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven minutes, something like that long, and it really connects every dot between this organization. And um, the you know the the profanity that we're talking about the and I again I really can't overstate this we're not just being you know overly sensitive Christians here saying oh my delicate sensibilities are upset that they're teaching you know young people about sex you know sex education has been a topic of discussion and debate in schools for decades and decades and decades that's not what this is. This isn't about teaching kids, hey, if you, you know, it is advisable to not be sexually act, uh, active. Abstinence is the best way to present, prevent uh, disease, transmission, and unintended pregnancies and so on. But if you are going to have sex, here's how you do it safely. The use of this, that, or the other thing, right? That's not what this is. That's age old. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> that is age old. i got to stop getting so fired up here. That's when my cough comes back. Um. But that's the age-old part that we that we uh, talk about. What this particular curriculum is is much, much, much more uh, profane and 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 graphically destructive, quite frankly, to a young uh, prepubescent mind. You're talking about 12, 13, 14-year-old middle school kids. It's unbelievable what's in this. You have to watch the video is what I'm trying to say here. You really do. And again, 
Uh, I said it before, just look up OhioValueVoters.com, go to Protecting Ohio's Children, and you'll see a link to the video there, and you can watch it for yourself and educate yourself about what they are educating your children with. All right, what I'm going to do now is to deliver on a promise that I made in the first hour of the program. Today, October 12th, is Columbus Day. It's a day that we celebrate, or at least traditionally we have celebrated, the extraordinary travels and the uh, contribution made to the Western world by Christopher Columbus. We also know that Christopher Columbus has come under attack in recent years by the left, triggered by the fact that Christopher Columbus came to a land that was already occupied by natives and participated in what they believe is the gravest injustice in the history of humanity. Michael Knowles is a historian and also a talk show host. He did this video for Prager University about Columbus Day and about Christopher Columbus, and I think it is something we should all listen to and learn from. He ventured where no other man of his age dared to go. He saw things no other man of his age had ever seen. He discovered a new world. For centuries, he was universally admired as a hero. Now, he's widely considered to be a despoiler of paradise, an enslaver, and a genocidal maniac. I'm talking, of course, about Christopher Columbus. So which is true? Is he a hero or a villain? The truth is complicated, as the truth often is, especially when you have to go back 500 years to find him. But let's try to get as close as we can. Columbus was born in 1451 in the port city of Genoa, Italy. At a time when birth often determined destiny, his origins were entirely unremarkable. His father was a middle-class wool weaver who expected his son to follow the same path. But Columbus had different plans. The age of discovery was dawning. The future belonged to the bold, and the bold went to sea. By the time he turned 30, Columbus had sailed to Iceland, Ireland, and Africa. Somewhere on his many voyages, he became obsessed with the idea that there was a westward sea route from Europe to India. But there were no maps to consult, only wild rumors of sea monsters and endless ocean. He put together the 15th century version of a PowerPoint presentation for the King of Portugal, then the world's leading sea power. But the King, heeding the advice of his experts, turned him down. It simply couldn't be done, the experts told the King. It was pure speculation, and an expensive one at that. So Columbus took his plans to Spain. But King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella weren't interested either, at least not at first. Columbus persevered. After eight years, they finally relented. They gave the explorer three small ships. There was a time when every school kid knew their names, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, and the year in which Columbus set sail, 1492. Except for a compass and the stars, Columbus had virtually no navigation tools at his disposal. He was, to mix metaphors, flying blind. He was heading west. That's about all he knew. Once the ships left the Canary Islands, they were on their own. His crews stayed loyal for the first week, but by the third week, they had lost their nerve. Columbus, however, never lost his. By sheer force of will, he kept his men in line. Finally, after ten long weeks at sea, on the night of October 11th, Columbus spotted land. He called it San Salvador. Today, we know it as the Bahamas. There, Columbus and his men encountered the Taino tribe. The first encounter between Europe and the Americas went well. The Taino were curious and helpful. Columbus was emphatic that his crew treat them with kindness and respect. 
Lest you think that Columbus stumbled on the Garden of Eden, the islands were also inhabited by the Caribs, a tribe of cannibals for whom, according to Pulitzer Prize-winning historian Samuel Eliot Morrison, babies were a delicacy, or in Morrison's words, a toothsome morsel. Like every place else on earth, in every time in history, the local peoples were a mixed bag. Some good, some not so good. Upon his return to Spain, word of the Italian explorer's successful voyage quickly spread throughout Europe. A new world had been discovered, and the old world would never be the same. Columbus was a man meant for the sea. On land, he was easily outmaneuvered and betrayed by professional politicians and bureaucrats. It is on their dubious, self-serving accounts that modern attacks on Columbus's reputation are based. In his own day, these attacks made the explorer's life a misery. Columbus was not blameless. He sold natives into slavery. But the explorer did not invent slavery, which was common around the world long before and long after Columbus's time. As for the charge of genocide, there was no genocide. There were atrocities, most occurring after Columbus was dead and gone. There was also widespread intermarriage between the Spaniards and the natives, which eventually led to the people we now call Hispanic or Latino. It's unfair to focus only on Columbus's sins. It's also unfair to judge someone who lived 500 years ago by today's standards. His own assessment of his actions is much more revealing. Let those who are fond of blaming and finding fault, while they sit safely at home, ask, Why did you not do thus and so? Well, there's a reason why Columbus has so long been celebrated. Why so many statues, schools, towns, cities, a national holiday, an Ivy League university, and even a country bear his name. It's this simple fact. When we celebrate Columbus, we celebrate the arrival of Western civilization to the Western Hemisphere. And if you can't celebrate that, it says much more about your moral compass than about history's greatest explorer. I'm Michael Knowles, host of The Michael Knowles Show, for Prager University. Michael Knowles is a tremendous historian. I've heard him give many lectures about Christopher Columbus, and I thought that five-minute um, PragerU video was certainly worth our time. Happy Columbus Day to you. Eric Trump, son of the President of the United States, coming up next, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1050 AM 1420, The Answer. We continue. Amy Coney Barrett and the confirmation hearings are underway in the Senate Judiciary Committee. We know this is not going to be something pleasant or pretty. President Trump is watching closely, but he is also getting ready for another round of rallies as he uh, completes his convalescence from uh, the coronavirus. And joining us now to talk about that and where the campaign goes from here is the son of the President of the United States, Eric Trump, back with us here in Cleveland on AM 1420, The Answer. Eric, good Good to have you back. How are you, sir? Hey, Bob. How are you? It's great to be back on. How's Dad feeling? Uh, Dad's doing great. He's doing. Uh, he's doing great. I've been speaking to him every single day, and uh, the man's incredible. I mean, obviously, he got hit hard on uh, last Friday, and by Saturday, the guy had his suit back on, and he was. Um, he was at a conference table at Walter Reed. He was working, and uh, now he's a. Uh, he's a hundred percent. I mean, it's one hundred percent, and he's going to be in Ohio a lot. And in fact, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there with him on, uh, on Saturday. We're doing a massive rally. I'm not sure if you know about it yet, but we're doing a massive rally on Saturday and it's going to be incredible. And, um, I'll be there and a bunch of the family will be there and we're going to have a good time. Do we have a location yet for that Saturday? I'm not sure if they've announced it. Um, but it's definitely going to be on Saturday and, um, okay. yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to fly in for that. And I'm going to be all over the state. And, um, 
honestly, the enthusiasm. I'm, I'm in Wisconsin as we speak. The enthusiasm is just incredible. Everywhere we go, there's signs, there's this, there's that. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people showing up. And, you know, Biden showed up in Miami yesterday, and he had a mariachi band of three people, and there was no one else there. I mean, it was, like, it was unbelievable. I mean, you, you literally can't make it up. No, I, I saw that actually Arizona too. There was a, this thing in Arizona where uh, where there was like literally nobody outside, nobody. The reporter was like, "I, I don't know what to say uh, because he's supposed to be, you know, he, he's inside uh, having this event, and there's nobody here to greet him or to express support for him." So, the, it, that voter enthusiasm, uh, Eric, is you know, I think is is what we all kind of have to look to and point to um, in reaction to the polls. The polls still show Joe Biden leading your father by a significant margin in various uh, various states, but the, the voter enthusiasm and these types of things don't seem to reflect that. I don't understand why there can be such a big disconnect. You know, Bob, I, I just got off a flight um, a minute ago, and, um, you know, the flight attendant was an amazing woman. She came up to me, she literally passed me a little note. She said, it was not I'm a Latino from New York, and you know I, I voted for uh, your father, and I'm my whole family and everybody else I know. Don't vote, don't believe this nonsense that they push out there. They tried to do it in 2016, and you're stronger now. Trust me, I know. Um, I, you know I live in that community. Then I got a no pass by the captain. You know the exact same thing. He's from North Carolina, and you know you know thank you for for what your father's doing for faith and our nation. The Democrats are trying to strip it. You know, um, you know, we we stay silent, but you better believe we're all going out and, and, and voting. And um, I mean, I see this stuff every single day. I mean, I, listen, I'm not a candidate. I hate you and I have talked about this a million times. I, I hate those politicians. Um, but literally, I mean, I, I literally I'll do rallies today. They'll have five, six hundred people at them. And I'm not on the ballot. I'm, not, I'm just a person who loves the candidate and represents him. Yet again, as you mentioned, you know, Biden in Arizona yesterday, he doesn't have a single person show up. The, the news. I mean, you probably saw the local news channel. She's going. Where is everybody? I don't. I don't understand. Yeah. How are we in the right spot? Where is everybody? Then his car pulls up, and there's literally no one there. And you know, I don't mean to be funny, but my, my you know, my father's done a great job for this country. And people see, pe- people see through the nonsense. People see through the fake news. They see through the nonsense. You know, they see a man who's devoted, it, you know, so much of his life when he didn't need to do this to, to fixing the problems um, put in place by politicians like Joe Biden for the last forty-seven years. He's done a phenomenal job, and he's made me as a son proud. And uh, you know, it's, uh, I think he's made this country very proud. Uh, I, I would agree. Eric Trump is our guest. Eric, um, let me ask you about the confirmation and uh, and and Joe Biden and his response to all of this. Obviously, the uh, Judiciary Committee is underway now in the Senate, and uh, the Democrats are complaining they shouldn't be there because people's lives are in danger because of COVID nineteen and the fact that a couple of senators have been diagnosed positive, and they're doing everything they can to slow walk, if not stop, this entire thing from from taking place. But the the real uh, you know news here is in Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's ongoing refusal to acknowledge uh, whether or not they would agree to packing the court, as Chuck Schumer and other leading Democrats have said, when they say nothing is off the table, including expanding the court to maybe eleven or thirteen or fifteen yep. members. Yesterday. He, he took it to a new level, Joe Biden did, in responding to a question about this as to whether or not the people deserve to know what his point of view is on this before they vote. And he said, no, they don't deserve to know. I, I mean, I don't know about you, Eric, but I think that's almost disqualifying. It is disqualifying, yeah. The American people do not, he said, the American people do not have the right to know whether or not they're going to pack the Supreme Court. And, and, and you know what? People are confused by packing the Supreme Court. You know, it means taking the Supreme Court from nine justices which it is right now, to 
15 or 18 or 21 or 30 or whatever number that they determine is the right number and putting their liberal, you know, far left activists on the court. That is that is scary stuff. And to your first point about about them saying it, it's dangerous to be at a confirmation hearing. Isn't it interesting that Kamala Harris comes out and says, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to attend in person because I find it to be very, very dangerous. But yet she's out on the road every single day talking to people, meeting people. I mean, her, their crowds aren't good. But, you know, instead of sitting in a chamber with 100 people, she's she's out there on the road, on flight, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's perfectly fine for her to go around the place and campaign, but it's not okay for her to, to listen to a Supreme Court confirmation. I mean... These people are just so full of, I, I mean, I can't say it, but America sees, yeah. America sees through this stuff. They, they, they see through this stuff. And, you know, most Americans, as you know, Bob, they don't have the luxury of this. They, you know, most Americans, they work in construction or they work at restaurants or they work in the service industry or they work in, you know, um, you know whatever it may be. They're, they don't have the luxury of these politicians to sit there and lock themselves in, you know, in, 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 in caves all day and, and, you know, lock themselves in the basement and not leave their homes. And, um, you know, you see in the media as well, well, why doesn't everybody just quarantine and not see anybody? It's like they don't have the luxury. They don't have these beautiful studios built. I mean, people people in this country have to work for a living, and we all have to work, and we all have to be out on the road. And, and these politicians, they just they, they refuse to acknowledge that for whatever reason. Yeah, it's 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 bizarre, and you know, and Kamala. To your point about Kamala Harris, I mean, we know that she's going to do two things: complain that she has to be there, and then even though she's going to do it virtually as part of her complaint, then she's going to grandstand and dominate the entire hearing as much as she can. Anyway, you know that she, after what she did to Brett Kavanaugh, you can only imagine what she is going to do now that she is on the ticket to Amy Coney Barrett to express her outrage at the idea uh, that President Trump has nominated this woman and that this Catholic woman, this mother of seven. Uh, is is yep. is going to pr- purport to to uh, uh, to take a seat on the court that has been vacated by Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Uh, it's sure. it's think, you know I think, I think this is them, extreme I, to I say the least. What you're going to hear from Kamala? Sure. I listen. I think it's hard for them though. I mean, they, they cried wolf so loudly in the last you know with with, with Kavanaugh, and they were so salacious, and they, and it actually backfired on them. And I th- I think they've lost all their political capital when it comes to trying to you know. Um, it's going to be hard for them. Don't get me wrong. They're crazy. And they're going to make noise because they always do. And they're going to throw tantrums and they're going to manufacture nonsense. Right. Because that's, that's what the other party does. But I just think they have a lot less political capital going into this one. I think they used it all on, on, on the last hand that they tried to pull with, uh, with Kavanaugh. Yeah, I, I think so too, Eric Trump. They really did. And, uh, you know, they exposed themselves, you know, and, and I'll never get over the idea that, you know, Elena Kagan, Sonia Sotomayor, whenever Barack Obama's nominees were given up or down votes, Republicans swallowed hard and said, our job is to decide whether or not they are qualified for the position and they voted yes for them. Uh, the Democrats have said the heck with the qualification issue. It's purely partisanship and ideology. And that's how they're going to, that's how they're going to treat these nominees. It's unfair and it's, uh, but it's part for the course the way they treat president trump and his team uh eric trump thank you so much for the time my friend god bless your father and thank you for your great work yeah god bless you as well see you soon thank you so much that's uh, all the time we have on the program this morning uh stay here mike gallagher for the next hour then charlie kirk on am 1420 the answer and dennis prager i'll be hosting for dennis prager today i'll talk to you then bye-bye